second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea And he sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning our text is about dirt. Soil and seed, more accurately. You can ignore the title in your bulletin. This sermon has been very difficult in coming. And that was a title that I chose early in the week, and it no longer applies So today the text is about soil and seed. But the reality is, is that Jesus takes them into the crevices of just that, what they already knew. This would have been a community like almost every community before this generation. And by this, I mean my generation and the generation that precedes me that would know intimately about soil and seed. And so what Jesus does here is he talks about God without talking about God. He uses life and everyday work to offer wisdom and reflection and even spiritual teaching. You see, what Jesus knows is that the crowds are not going to be in the synagogues all day. Where are the crowds going to be? home, right? They're going to be home. And what are they going to be doing? Working, fishing, working in the dirt, right? Most of these folks probably don't know how to read. And so what Jesus does is he gives them a lesson that they can take with them into their place of life. 
He gives them a lesson or a story or a way of working with this idea of God that is in their everyday language. The language of the seed and how it grows. And sometimes I think that we've forgotten that Jesus, the head of our church, the one that we orient ourselves around, the Lord of our life, as we proclaim in our creeds, first talked about the kingdom, not by talking about the kingdom, but by talking about dirt and soil and seeds. It was the very fabric of created life that provided the content of Jesus' teachings. Now, later in this text, Jesus is going to liken the sowing of the seed with the sharing of the word. He's going to liken the sowing of the seed with the sharing of the word. And you don't have to read very far ahead to notice that that's coming. And we don't have time today to dig into that text. So we're not going to be talking about that. But I want us to know, just for a second, that there is this idea that I'm not making up that's in the text itself, that the seed is the word of God, that the seed is the word, that the seed is the word, and that the sower is the one who sows the word. Okay, so those are sort of the characters that are at play in this parable today. And then there's this wild thing in the parable. And by wild, I sort of mean just sort of outside of the realm of human control. And that is the soil, the place where the seed falls. And it's interesting, if you go back and you reread this parable, you'll notice that in every instance, it's that word, and some seed fell in every particular soil account. Some seed fell. You see, as children of big agriculture, this text doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Because we think, being children of the Enlightenment, children of production, children of the economic system that we all live in, right? I'm a part of it, you're a part of it. Why not just put the seed in good soil and be done? Right? Why not plan the work, put the seed in the good soil, and be done with it? Big yield, no waste, check mark done, off the list, on we go. But if we really listen to the text, and after all, that's the request that Jesus issues himself, right? The one who has ears to hear comes up three times in that sentence. We miss it in English because it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But it's actually, the hearer who has ears, let that one hear. So the word listen comes up three times in the last sentence that Jesus says. So if we really want to listen to the text, we will in fact begin to pay attention to what it is that he's telling us, which is that seeds are not just capsules of information. Seeds are not just capsules of information. And the ground 
the dirt, the soil, is not just a production lot. It's not a piece of machinery. It's not a conveyor belt. It's not even something that has quality control. And in fact, what Jesus is saying here is that there is a deep, serious, ongoing, symbiotic, if you don't know what that word means, I'm going to tell you, sim means together, biotic, life, togetherness with life. There is an ongoing symbiotic and dynamic relationship between the seed and the soil. That in fact, the same seed can be put in one place and it can produce something entirely different than if it was put in another place. The seed is not an information capsule. Brothers and sisters, the word is not an information capsule. But the way you use it, the way that it grows, the relationship that it is in, that is what will render its work within the world. So you cannot just throw it into legislation. You cannot just throw it into racist theory. You cannot just throw it into big agriculture, economic systems. You cannot just throw it and expect that it will yield the same thing, because it won't. But in the parable today, the radical note, the wonder of generosity, the untamability of grace, is that the sower actually does just that. The sower lets the seed fall everywhere. And the seed goes into these various and different places, even into places where it faces danger and threat of survival. Now, these radical actions of the sower would not have been a surprise for folks in the first century, nor would they be a surprise for folks closer to our time and not quite in our century, but sort of just a few years behind. Behind is the wrong word. You'll see what I mean in just a second. The radical actions of the sower would not have been a surprise to the Ojibwe people of northern Minnesota. You see, the Ojibwe are stewards of the land in and around the Great Lakes, and they are keepers of what we know of as the grain, which is not actually grain, it's a grass, that we know of and we sometimes partake called wild rice. The Ojibwe are the keepers of that rice. And the plant grows in the waters of the Great Lakes, and its best yield happens when the water is flowing 
and the melt doesn't come too early, and the lake doesn't evaporate too soon. And to collect the plant, you go out and find the great swaths of grass, and you beat the grain into the canoe using birch sticks that have been prepared for just this reason. But the grain heads don't ripen all at the same time. And so as you beat the grain from the tall swaths of grass into the canoe, you leave some there that is then outside of your control. And so if you are doing your work well as a collector of the wild grain, you will have, you will have collected at most only half of what is happening in that year's harvest. The rest simply falls back into the lake to set seed in hopes that more grain will come next year. Hold that thought for just a second. And compare that image of stewarding and caring for the grain with this one. In the year 1986, there were hybrid strains of wild rice that were given to California production owners who were able to put their farming techniques to work and that took the wild rice that had been stewarded and cared for by the Ojibwe people and created yields that were so high that they flooded half of the market and they started to creep out the work of the Ojibwe's. But here's the thing. Knowing all of this, the Ojibwe people were nonplussed about what was happening in the busyness of the market because they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew in their bones that their rice was better. There was no question for them. They said this, we know that wild rice needs the running water to have flavor. Paddy rice doesn't even taste. We like the green color and the taste that you get when it comes from the stream. Nothing can equal the aroma of the rice camp, the wood fires burning, the rice drying, the dewy fresh air drifting in from the lake. A contented feeling of well-being fills the camp. The first grain of the season has been offered to the great spirit with a blessing, and now the time has come to partake of the gift, boiled with venison or ducks or rice hens. It was nourishing and delicious. You see, the lesson from the Ojibwe is that the seed is not an information capsule. That how the seed goes in, how, is it, how it is tended to, how it is cared for, how it goes out into the community is the measure of the fullness of what it is. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold.
The seed does not and cannot work alone. It is part of a whole story, a whole culture, a whole practice. And it is measured ultimately by the fruit. And that's the word that we have there in the Greek text, karpos. It's the word for fruit, for something that is sweet and partaken by the whole. We have it translated grain because those words were used interchangeably. But fruit is something to be enjoyed and honored and celebrated by the whole. That's the measure of the seed. Not whether or not it went out. Not whether or not it is recited by the Attorney General of the United States. The seed is not a capsule. It is a practice. It needs to be stewarded. It needs to be held. It needs to be honored. Friends, we have more to learn from the Ojibwe than we do from almost anyone else that is raising their voice at this time. The challenge that we are facing, and if I could just speak for a second to our white brothers and sisters, I realize that we are diverse in this room, and so please give me permission to speak this for just one minute. The challenge that we are facing as white American Protestants is that we are now wondering what practices have we put around this seed? And are they caring for the future of the word? Or are they bearing something else entirely that was not our intention to begin with? You see, the seed is freely given by the sower. The sower sows. The seed goes out, some falls in different places. We cannot blame the sower for the way in which the seed has been used. The lesson from the parable today is that it is the practice of the seed that actually measures whether or not it is working and it is good. And so the question that the white American Protestant church is asking is have we unknowingly tried to create manufacturing techniques that churn out large yields? Or have we stewarded the growth of the seed so that it can offer fruit for the whole? If we turn to our history, I think we'll find that we are surprised. And perhaps it's the second question that needs to lead us forward into the next 100 years. And it's going to look very, very different. And it should. And it should. Today is Father's Day, and I am not a father. 
but I celebrate fathers deeply. I had a very, very, very good father. And not all fathers are husbands. I know that my father was not a husband. But the word husband is a caretaking word. Did you know that? I didn't. But I've learned it recently. The word husband is a caretaking word. It is a word for stewardship, care, and growth. To husband the land was to care for the land, to cooperate with the land, and to not stand over and against it by way of lordship. To not stand over and against it by way of lordship. And friends, that is the great question, one of the great questions that we are asking now. Is the way of the father going to be the way of domination and lordship, or is it going to be the way of the husband that is the caretaker and the steward and the one who cooperates and nurtures? The Ojibwe people, the men were out there gathering the seeds in the canoes and beating the grain into the, gra- into the collection pots for the good of the whole. What will it mean to husband, to father, in these next 100 years? You see, the text today does not invite us to be Lord of the Seeds. And in fact, the sower is not Lord of the ground. The seed falls. The seed falls. The radical generosity of the sower is that the seed falls even into the most difficult and atrocious places. The seed falls even into the government of the United States. The seed falls even into the racist theory that we have inherited. The seed falls, the seed falls, the seed falls, but it is measured by the fruit. And the fruit comes by stewardship. The fruit comes by practice. The fruit comes from the good of the whole. The fruit invites us not to be lord of the seeds, but to husband the seeds. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, one who has been known by many names, and one of those names has chosen to be called Father. We ask that you would expand our imagination of what this is, that we would hear your word, your word, your word, your word, but through it we would practice. 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 Not lordship, but stewardship. Not domination, but love. In your name we ask. Amen. Friends, let us stand. <clears throat>